Welcome to Rethink Real Estate. My name is Ben Brady, and this is a real estate podcast based around the principles of our non-distressed auction model and Australian real estate concepts at work today in the US marketplace. We focus on scripts, dialogues, real situations in negotiation, listing appointments, prospecting, and all concepts to do with real estate. We look forward to being real and rethinking real estate with you. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Rethink Real Estate. It's Ben Brady flying solo today and continuing our seller education series today as we round out the series with a few questions in respect to are you asking the right questions or are you just simply talking at your clients? A big thank you to Maddox Shrepech from the Harcourt's Prime Properties Carlsbad office for our interview last week. Uh, some great feedback uh, on that and the sales maturity uh, is certainly a comment that is flying around the group at the moment, but a wonderful interview. And if you haven't had a chance, go back and listen to that. It certainly has some incredible content in respect to just process out there in the field from somebody real doing it. But folks, the thing that I want to focus on today, now that we've gone through all of the process uh, in respect to all of the process in respect to getting your client ready to accept the marketplace, it comes down to some pivotal moments, some pivotal moments where people think that you need to be hard with your seller in order to get them to listen to the marketplace when that is actually not the case. There couldn't be more of a pure example than today of that whole concept of instant gratification doesn't exist when educating your clients. Today, what I'm going to be going through is script and dialogue after script and dialogue, concepts in order to get you get your seller thinking about price. And the one thing that is incredible, the task that I did a long time ago is that I had to go through the process of writing down all of the scripts and dialogues that I had learned or, or used or created over the years in order to get a seller more comfortable with the marketplace in respect to expectations. And it was funny, it was only at the time that I sat back and reflected on all of the dialogue that I'd written down is that they are all questions. There is no dictatorship in any of this type of stuff. It is only simply concepts and questions in order to get them to think. And again, at the risk of sounding like a broken record is that you need to understand, folks, that what you say today will have effect tomorrow. It's no such thing as a magic wand that will be waved over your sellers all of a sudden when you say a sentence and all of a sudden that they choose to accept the market. You need to be giving them facts and you need to be repeating these questions to them a number of times throughout the process itself in order for them to come to the marketplace with as much with as much enthusiasm as they possibly can, knowing that it is the marketplace that they are accepting because you've done everything in your power. But getting down to what these scripts and dialogues are today, folks. So for example, the first one that I put in there is an auction objection. One of the things that our United States listeners would get a, a lot and that I constantly get from agents is that, well, you know, our sellers don't want to accept it because they think the auction is getting in the way of, you know, getting the real buyers into the marketplace. And that's where we've got to make an educated decision, folks, at that point in time is that are they going to continue to use auction as an excuse not to accept the marketplace? Because if that's the case, we need to go through the process of elimination. And then that is all about quantifying and qualifying your sellers at the very beginning of the process to see whether or not they are the right candidate in order to use the auction process or whether or not we need to take them down the path of traditional first in order to accept the marketplace, okay, in the sense of Mr. and Mrs. Seller, maybe we need to go out to the marketplace traditionally and and simply put a price on it that might be a little bit higher than what you're ultimately looking to achieve to see if there is any low-hanging fruit out there. And then instead of me coming back for a price reduction, we use our 
auction method in order to cast the net further and bring a different form of buyer into the marketplace and provoke the marketplace. Now, if you have gone auction from the first get-go, or even if they have been on the marketplace traditionally, some people are stubborn to the factor of listening to the marketplace. So this first one is an important script that if someone says to you, well, Ben, I think it's the auction process is why we're getting all of these low offers. Now, Folks, what is a low offer? You know, is there consistency of low offers? Remember that 24-hour meeting that Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I know that you're going to get low feedback along the way, but I don't want you to be offended by it because there are going to be people out there that will try and steal your property. However, if we do get consistently low feedback and consistently low offers, we need to then talk about it because that may be the marketplace. So folks, this is the question that you need to ask them when they start to blame auction. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, is it possible that you're using the auction process as an excuse to escape what the marketplace is saying? Let me say it again. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, is it possible that you're using the auction process as an excuse to escape what the marketplace is saying? Then you can even back that statistic up, guys. And this is this is actually very, very well kept within our group in a sense of that this is a very powerful statistic that you could use with the auction process itself. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, we have only, we only sell roughly about two percent of properties after auction for more than an offer that we see before auction or on auction day itself. Are you sure you're willing to take that ninety-eight percent chance that there's going to be less out there later? I think that these are pertinent points, folks, to get a seller to to remove some of the excuses that a seller goes through in this process in its entirety. Next one, I'm sure we've had a seller go say to us all the time, we don't have to sell. That's something that we hear quite often within the real estate marketplace. But folks, I think that it just needs to be all led back to the notion of, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you don't have to sell, you don't need to sell. So can you remind me why are we on the marketplace? Why are we doing this? You need to always lead it back to the why, folks. Now, they might have a legitimate reason, but most of the time the reason will be self inflicted in the sense of that it's a financial situation that they need to dig their way out of. It's another property that they're trying to buy. There's all of these different other aspects that ultimately have no bearing on the value of their property. So we don't have to sell, Ben. Well, hey, look, you don't have to sell. You don't need to sell. So why are we doing this? Let me confirm, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you do want to sell, don't you? Yes. Okay, you need to keep going back to those reasons. You need to keep reflecting back on those reasons, guys. Then you can follow along with, what does selling your home allow you to achieve? If you have an offer on the table, folks, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what does accepting this offer allow you to do? It's interesting how we always have to conceptualize where they're going to next again. And this all comes back down to folks setting yourself up for success, making sure they do have a very clear plan of moving forward. If they don't, maybe you need to help them create one, okay? You need to make sure that if you are having that 24-hour meeting with them and you are talking about their financial situation at the end of it and they are coming up with it, they are stretched financially, maybe you do need to put them in front of a financial planner before you go any further in order to have a plan that if it does fall short, Maybe you do need to do a net sheet so that they can see what they're going to walk away with at different price categories and worst case scenarios, but always bringing it back to, Mr. Masella, what does selling your home allow you to do? And folks, if that why is not strong enough, your seller is not a seller. 
They are somebody that is wasting your time. If the why is not strong enough, then they, then they are wasting your time. You need to evaluate the why all the time. What does accepting this offer allow you to do, Mr. and Mrs. Sellers? Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you have to ask your question, ask yourself the question, is your money better kept here or is it better put into your next property? Now, guys, let me conceptualize this comment for you. Say you've got a property that backs onto a busy street or there's something wrong with a localized area. It's not, you know, like I was dealing with a property up in Incline Village yesterday, um, a, quite a substantial property worth between 6 and $7 million. And unfortunately, it's an, a, one of the most spectacular built homes and one of the most spectacular properties in an area that I've ever been in. However, the problem is, is that it's low-density housing all around that property and it is the nicest property by far within that area. So that is a serious issue. So ultimately, is the seller money better kept there or is it better taken out and put in an area that is going to see better capital growth because there is no chance with inside 10, 15, 20, 30 years that all of the properties around them is going to be redeveloped into nicer properties because there's so many of them. So you've got to consider, is your money better kept here or is it better put somewhere else where you may see that capital growth? For example, if you have a seller that is in, that is in um, uh, California and maybe transitioning to one of those more affordable marketplaces like Oregon, Washington, um, Arizona, Texas, whatever it may be, is that is your money better kept here in California or is it better taken out now at whatever you can get for it and put in a marketplace that's seeing more growth because of the affordability? You've got to cut your losses now and put it somewhere else where you, where you can realize a bad investment of your time and learn from those mistakes and put it elsewhere. So folks, bringing back to the concept, um, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you have to ask yourself the question now, is your money better kept here in this property or is it better spent elsewhere where you can learn from these mistakes that we've learned from this marketplace? Very rarely does a, does a seller that lives on a busy street ever buy on a busy street again. Very rarely does a seller that's made a decision based on position, based on styling, based on whatever it may be, um, or upgrades, very rarely do they make those mistakes again. They can learn from those, but unfortunately, they they might have to compromise in respect of value on those. So guys, reflecting on what we've gone through so far is noticing that they're all questions. Is it possible that you're using the auction process, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, to escape what the marketplace is saying to you? Is it? Question mark. We don't have to sell, Ben. Well, you don't have to sell. You don't need to sell. So can you remind me why are we on the marketplace again? Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what does accepting this offer allow you to do? What does selling your home allow you to do? Mr. and Mrs. Seller, you have to ask yourself the question, is your money better kept here in, in this property or better put into your next home? All questions so far, guys, all question marks at the end of those, because again, it's not what I say today uh, that will have effect. It's what I say today that will have effect tomorrow. It's not what I, what, what I say today that will have effect now. It's what I say today that will have an effect tomorrow. That's an important part of this process, guys. Now, one of the things that is an important concept in all of this as well is conceptualizing yet again, is that let's say that a seller says, I want more money. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, um, you know, I have an offer here for $550,000. Well, Ben, we're not going to consider anything under $575,000. I believe a wonderful follow-up question to, again, conceptualize what they are doing is saying to them, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what would you do with the money that you make if I could get that for you? What would you do with the money that you make 
if I could get that for you. You can also frame it up in this case. No, 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 we want 575, we won't consider 550. So Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what you're doing is essentially you are going back and you are gambling $550,000 at the hope that you will get $25,000 in return. Is that correct? That doesn't seem like a smart gamble to me or a smart return on investment. Then you can always say to them, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what would you do with the money that I get you? Let's say that I could do it for you. What would you do with the money that you make? You have to bring it back to a conceptual question, conceptual idea or question and put it in context, folks. You have to put it in context for them because ultimately one thing is going to happen is they're going to either conceptualize in their mind that ultimately that, that, that isn't a lot of money. Or secondly, they're going to come back with a reason. They're going to come back with a reason, no, well, I need to get out of here debt-free, we need to buy a bigger house, we need to do this, this, this. And all of those being self-indulgent reasons that you need, to, you need to visually point out to them that they are nobody else's problem but their own. But their own. And that's what these questions ask. Too often, what an agent does is that, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, what will you take for the property? And they say 575, okay. And then they go back and try and negotiate the buyers up when they're already at their maximum. Don't get me wrong. We're not trying to not negotiate the buyers up. And that will be a whole another series that we do on buyer negotiation and agent negotiation. But folks, you need to be able to ask these questions. You need to get your seller to the marketplace before the marketplace turns up. Remember that long before the market presents itself, you have to get your sellers ready to accept it. Long before you deliver the marketplace, you must deliver the bad news. It cannot work in reverse, okay? Another way of making sure that we're cutting through the, the noise, so to speak, of all of these different prices that a seller gives you is not asking a question, and this is the cardinal sin, what will you take? What would you accept? How much would you take? How much would you look at? These are all the wrong ways and the wrong questions to ask. The simple question is, what won't you take? What won't you take? Mr. and Mrs. Seller, this is a little bit of an interesting way of looking at the price, but I want to get right down to it because I need to, the conversation that I need to have right now is not about what you will take because that is an easy conversation for us all to have. It's what you won't take that I need to understand. Well, what do you mean, Ben? Like, oh, we told you we won't accept, you know, we won't accept anything less than 575, but what won't you take? If I brought you 550, is that a complete not a no? Yes. So what won't you take, guys? You need to cut it straight down because what will you take or what is your bottom line is still a level of negotiation in that, that they'll probably inflate, you know, well, bring me 575 and we know that if we had 565 on the table that we would bring it to them and have that conversation, getting them to understand what won't you take. No, well, Ben, we will, we will take 575. No, well, but, but what won't you take? Anything less than that. But so, so is anything less than that? Is that five, 565? Should I tell a buyer to go away if I even had them there and a chance to negotiate them up? Like, well, well, maybe we would talk about that. So you won't take 565, but you would talk about it? These are the questions that need to be asked, folks, so that you understand the pain points and understanding that how close to that number would you do, how, what would you accept. So when you have an offer at 565, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, how close to that number would you accept? That's another way of looking at it as well. When you have an offer on the table, okay, when you have an offer on the table, you need to ask the question, how close to that offer would you accept? When you have feedback on the table, how close to this feedback would you accept? 
when they say, no, well, we won't accept that, well, how close? Nowhere near it, but how close? Well, nowhere near that, but how close to that number? Do you notice how you have to continue to repeat it, folks? Now, when you're going down the path of saying to a seller, what would you do with the money that you make? And then they come up with that conceptual reason that ultimately is a self-indulgent reason that is a selfish reason most of the time, whether it be a financial decision that they've made and put themselves in a poor decision that they expect someone else to bail them out of. You need to then put it again in context. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, let's put yourself in the buyer's shoes and say that I went back to them and said that I need to need you to pay more money because of the reason that you just gave me. Whether it be buying a big home, getting out of your debt free, or whatever it is. What, how would you react if you were the buyer? Well, Ben, don't tell them that. Well, Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I can't simply go back and negotiate of hopes and dreams. I need tangible evidence to do so. And unfortunately, the evidence that we've already presented that you know and I know isn't holding weight with our buyers any longer. How would you react to why you need more money? Folks, one of the things that we all need to come to the realization of is why we ask these questions to, of people is to get them to realize is that they all everybody believes that they have good intentions in life, but unfortunately screwing over another person because some poor financial decisions that they've made or a better lifestyle that they require or want or things that they have done in the past is not being a good person in the sense that they would never physically do anything to harm anybody or hurt anybody or, 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 or anything where there is actual physical proof of them doing so. But it's okay to do so amongst the real estate transaction that does fall short for me. And it's allowing you to point that out to them in a subtle way because you cannot point that out to them in a brazen way, otherwise you lose them completely. The other thing that we need to get used to in respect to a question or a framing of a question or framing of a concept is making sure it's coming from the right place. One of the things that I've constantly said amongst seller education folks, and I want to leave you with this before we move on to part two of, of, the, of the next week's series, is that it always needs to be your fault. If the words I told you so ever come out of your mouth and say to a seller, I told you that that was all you would get in the beginning is you've completely lost their trust and they won't listen to you. So I think that the best way to go about it would be something along the lines of this. Mr. and Mrs. Seller, I think that my expectations for your property and my want to get you the most money the market will pay has gotten in the road of us actually selling your home. But I believe I'm actually guilty of trying to get you too much. I'd rather be guilty of trying to get you too much than too little. So I've had to re-educate myself from the feedback and this is what I've found. It's a simple way of going about it that you've re-educated yourself on the marketplace after potentially maybe, maybe over-promising in the very beginning of that listing. And folks, let's level with each other where in real estate, everybody has been guilty of over-promising in the beginning before. And then having to be re-educated because the marketplace has said no and has rejected that property. So folks, again, make sure that your questions, uh, make sure that your questions uh, getting them to think about their expectations, getting them to think about the marketplace and getting them to think in general about their position. What does accepting this offer allow you to do? What does selling your home allow you to do? Folks, we'll be back next week as we continue with these scripts and dialogues for ensuring that we're giving concept and context to sellers and helping them think about price.
Thanks for tuning in. Look forward to you listening to another episode of Rethink Real Estate shortly.